welcome to the Inconsention Podcast. I am Matt Cranstuber with Joey Pasco. Hey guys. And Ruben Bressler. Good morning, guys. How you doing? Everything is coming up cranny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it always uh, comes not, up cranny. Not really. I mean, I, I guess I uh, I did win a draft, uh, and uh, that felt pretty good. Was was this a full block draft? <laughs> yeah. Uh, is, I decided. Is this a magic online do, digital objects draft? It's a digital object draft uh, involving digital Return of Ravnica block cards. And uh, I decided to um, put my money where my mouth was in when I said I was going to test the format. I've been uh, playing it and I'm having a good time. All right. Maybe we'll get into that later on. We'll see if we have time. Maybe so. Uh, but uh, I, before we get into our topics on the day, why don't we give our, our plug to our mothership, StarCityGames.com. Of course, In Contention is the official podcast of the StarCityGames.com Open Series. And this weekend, the Open Series comes to Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, with $10,000 prize pools in the standard and legacy opens. And if you can't be there, be sure to tune into SCGLive.com and catch Matthias Hunt and Cedric Phillips with Glenn Jones and the Cyborg bringing you all the action. The Twitter hashtag on the weekend is SCGDAL, so if you can't join us, be sure to uh, join in on the discussion on Twitter. Uh, if you can't make it out, check out an invitational qualifier tournament near you. Go to the StarCityGames.com open series page for a complete listing at StarCityGames.com slash SCGOP. And, uh, Joey, there's another tournament coming up. There is. Uh, obviously, with our new schedule change we have uh, we have two weeks between between episodes so of course this weekend is Dallas as you mentioned but next weekend is SCG Baltimore um, I'm gonna be playing in that uh, at least on Saturday you play magic on, yeah it's I, I just learned get and, out of here <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm using uh, one of these uh, what are they called intro decks I'm gonna I'm gonna try that's all the cards nice. I own. Ken uh, Burl did something in Minneapolis when I was there last time where he had he bought three intro decks <laughs> And cracked like them at the table and played that deck. That's awesome. It was uh, awesome. Yeah. I mean, Big Head <laughs> Joe was known for doing that a lot at FNMs. Like, he would just buy an intro deck and be like, yep, this is what I'm playing with. Like, it, so, I mean, it works. Uh, it's kind of funny. True story. Rob Castellan qualified for the Pro Tour using a uh, Mercadian Mass Precon. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and an Uno card. And an- <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, it was a draw for but, oh, fair, yeah. That's, that's fair. a good one. Uh, so so you may not know what we're talking about when we say Rob Castle on facts, so why don't we talk a little bit about Let's what we're going to talk about today. So we got our hashtags at the top of the list, Pro Tour Dragon's Maze. And uh, under that, we have a couple subtopics, hashtag coverage and hashtag Rob Castle on facts. So we're going to talk about some of the decks we saw this weekend, some of the neat stuff if you haven't been able to tune into the coverage. And then uh, we're going to talk about some M14 spoilers, maybe some slivers discussion. And then we got uh, another t- uh, topic we can get to, it. hashtag lands in front. Uh, I guess maybe that could tag on to our Pro Tour discussion. Then, uh, of course, Ruben's in Nashville this weekend, so Ruben's going to give us a, an update on some of the decks and things from Nashville. So we're going to get into hashtag SCG Nashville. So um, where do you guys want to start? I, I feel like maybe, you know, since it's a Pro Tour... Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should talk about the Maybe Pro Tour. Maybe we should talk about the largest events. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, and I think that's what's on the uh, the forefront of everyone's mind right now. Um, of course, the, the Pro Tour this particular time around is block constructed, which I think is cool how they... Um, you know they they do this shifting of the constructed formats for the for the pro tours and of course last year was uh was block constructed around this time and miracles was the deck that ended up taking it down um this time around there's not such an obvious mechanic to uh to just kind of take it all but uh, i mean there's certainly some standout cards that the mechanic we- is lands yeah yeah i mean that that's true that's true so why don't you why don't you uh Elaborate <laughs> on that. Uh, so, uh, as you may know, this block has some of the best fixing that's been around, uh, well, since the Innistrad lands, I guess. But um, we have the Guild Gates and the Shock lands, so there's, uh, there's very little incentive to just play one or two colors. So many of the decks that you'll see doing well, or, or even just in the environment, are three- and four-color decks. And... Um, so if you've been tuning into the coverage, there's kind of 
a few archetypes that have been floating to the top. So you have like really Aetherling decks, which is just Aetherling and then, you know, whatever two or three colors you want to play along with your Aetherlings to sort of not die before you play your Aetherling. Um, and then you have, I guess we'll call them like white based aggro decks. Um, you know, Craig Wesco doing very well. I, actually, maybe I should say this. We are recording uh, prior to the top eight. Right. Uh, we know the top right. eight. We're record- we know the top eight, but we're recording the morning of. I'm actually sitting in the player meeting for uh, the legacy portion of SCG Nashville as we record this. Yeah, right. so we don't know who wins, because don't spoil it for us, anybody out there who, who knows. <laughs> Anyone from the future, don't spoil it for us. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, you know, the, there's a uh, number of Voice of Resurgence decks that are doing very well. Um, Craig Wesco with a particularly interesting White Weenie deck, as he typically plays. And uh, so, you know, we, we can kind of drill into those. And then there's some red decks, which you may have seen on camera. Um, you know, around Rakdos Keckler and and um, and Corehouse Chainwalker and 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 Bernie Tramissary just sort of relying on the raw power uh, of some of the standard decks. A lot of those cards overlap into the uh, Radnica blocks. So uh, those are really the three that have, have kind of stood out to me uh, as sort of being the main contenders. And then there have been a couple interesting ones. Maybe I'll let um, you guys kind of dig into those uh, if you saw any. Anything that was sort of off the radar that maybe you didn't think would be yeah. going to go. The favorite, I think, in the top eight is, <laughs> I honestly think this deck is just so well positioned, is Rob Castellans. He's got this junk uh, Deadbridge Chant deck that has Alms Beast, has four main deck Gate Creeper Vine. This deck is wild, and it's really well positioned because the rest of the top eight is five Aetherling decks, uh, Craig Wesco's White Weenie, deck, and also a sort of Naya aggro deck being played by Josh Utter-Layton, mm. and so we've got we've got two pairs of scissors, or no, we've got two papers, uh, five pairs of scissors, and a rock, right? Isn't that how it works? <laughs> and so this rock deck is awesome, and uh, it's, it's, I honestly think that this one is, is the one that has the chance to do it. Yeah, sure. yeah. I, I, even uh, you know, he's got one of these cards in the sideboard that reminded me, of course, of uh, of an entire other archetype, which doesn't appear in the top eight, but uh, unfortunately, because it's pretty crazy. But Maze's End, yeah, man, in the sideboard. But uh, yet they on the feature match camera lose to Maze's End. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, yeah. didn't somebody actually attack with a Night Veil Spectre and reveal one of the the cards to the um, to the Spectre that ended up being one of the gates that was just a singleton and actually just he, he couldn't win? Did that I, did that happen on camera? I had some friends over last night. We were we were watching the Pro Tour and, and kind of talking about that deck, and, and someone told me about that interaction. I I couldn't uh, help but laugh. Did that happen on camera, or am I just? Is that just a story? I was busy watching a different tournament yesterday, so I don't know. Yeah, I didn't see it happen on camera, but I thought I saw LSV tweeting something about it. And I don't know if it Uh, happened to LSV or or what, but uh, I did see mention of that as well. So it was either, you know, it was brought up somewhere uh, that that it happened to someone, which just seems crazy. I mean, it's it's hilarious, really. but generally, yeah. like the fact that this Maze's End deck exists is pretty cool. Um, I guess it shouldn't be too shocking because it's really it's it's thawing glaciers, which was a huge uh, card in its own format, and this is it's just a kind of variant of it, and it can be used as a win condition uh, as well as uh, thawing glaciers. I mean, um, and it adds. I, mana. I- I'm sorry, there was a delay there. That's okay. I was just going to say, yeah, it, it adds mana as well, which Thawing Glaciers didn't do. Mm-hmm. But uh, Right. Go ahead, Ruben, what were you going to say? Sorry, I was going to say, yeah, Thawing Glaciers, one of my favorites uh, in Cube, of course. A lot of people don't like it anymore, but uh, hey, being able to make a land drop every turn, especially in this format where Etherling mirrors are happening and Sphinx's Revelation battles are happening, you're going to want to be able to be the guy that's playing all your land drops and the fact that it's a win condition all on its own. Yeah. Is uh, is even better. It's the kind of card that would make me build up a deck to take to F and M when I I usually do most of my playing on Magic Online, but that something like that just seems like it's a pretty good showboating deck. 
Yeah, I'm going to win with Probably not, not quite ready for prime time. The, the land destruction options in block are real bad, and the land destruction option in standard is acidic slime. So yeah. probably not quite ready for prime time yet. Good point. So um, let's uh, let's drill down into this top eight uh, quickly because I mean there's some pretty awesome players here and a couple players that uh, it's their first pro tour, so that's kind of exciting too. So uh, um, at the top of the list, we have Andres Prost running a blue white Aether Lang Jace Architect of Thought deck. So that having the full suite of Sinks Revelations, Spring Verdicts, and Counter Spells, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, um, about which about what you would expect out of um, blue white in this block. Yeah, then surpri- of course, just quickly, just surprised to to see players going for just blue white. He wasn't the only one, um, you know, and just foregoing the the black removal when mana fixing is so so uh, prevalent. But just something I thought was interesting. Yeah, and no, I guess the the removal suite in this deck is kind of interesting. Um, it, you know, it has Psychonic Rift, Azorius Charm. And renounce the guilds. Well, yeah, and then Supreme Verdict, of course. And, yeah, I don't know that I would want to be playing this deck in the mirror. um, Just because it really only has four ways to deal with Aetherling. And uh, so this guy, Andres, seems like he probably just maybe snuck in under some of those mirror matches. Um, But maybe the counter spells are are pretty good because he does have... Uh, four render silent, four syncopate. So maybe he is able to kind of win on that axis. Yeah, it's hard to say. Um, so, so then we have Rob Castellan and uh, second place. Of course, we've been talking a little bit about that deck. It is a very interesting deck. Um, it's got a lot of neat interactions. It's definitely uh, definitely one to check out. It does have a Mazes Zen in the sideboard, which is kind of interesting. Um, I guess supposedly, or, or maybe yeah, he can't. He can't win with it, but it's right. just to be able to make more land drops. Yeah, yeah. He's so. using it for actual thawing mazes, or thawing gates, I guess is the best way, <laughs> uh, way to refer to it. Yeah, he's using it as a thawing glaciers. Well, he has 24 lands, so if he's boarding in things like Angel of Serenity or, or trying to hit the um, Slaughter Games man a little easier, I guess you might bring that in. So um, let's, let's call it gating glaciers. There you go. Gating okay. glaciers. I like it. Uh, and then let's talk about this deck after we go through the top eight here. But this deck's really cool. This is Craig Wesco playing white green aggro. Uh, so we'll, we'll dig into that here in a minute because I think this is a pretty good one to spotlight. Uh, then we have Matei Z- I'm not even going to try this. Zadalkai? Z- Z- Zadalkai, I'm pretty sure. Z- Matei Zadalkai. Yeah. Okay. Well said. Pretend gaze our eyes. <laughs> Matei Zadalkai. So this Big is Z. like. Just call him Big Z. <laughs> okay, something like that. Mate um, Zadalkai. Okay, thank you. Uh, I'm running a, an Esper deck with Aetherlane, Bloodbaron of Escapa, Sin Collector, and then a bunch of support spells. So, interesting deck there. Then we have, uh, the not to be confused with the other Ochoa, we have Dusty Ochoa, uh, an Arizona native, apparently uh, been a long-time player of the game, running and... Esper deck, um, this time with Obsidat and Angel of Serenity, and, uh, along with Aetherling and the other support spells. So cool deck there. Then uh, Josh Shutterlayton, uh, who I was kind of rooting for all day yesterday, running a Naya deck with, um, you know, all of the... It's kind of like the other aggro deck in the top eight. Um, but I do like this as a favorite to win. Um, just off the power of Burning Tree Emissary, I think that that card is just... Just so good when the only outs really in this format to a big fast start is like a Supreme Verdict. Um, uh, and there's no Thrag Tusk, so it's like a little bit harder to recover. So I, I like this deck uh, quite a bit. And uh, rounding out our top eight, we have Andrew Shrout, who um, it's his uh, first time in the Pro Tour. And uh, he's running a red, white, blue um, sort of mid-rangey control deck with the symbol Legion and, and some other neat stuff. We saw him on camera yesterday beat Mono Red. Um, pretty pretty cool looking deck there. Uh, definitely ports itself well over to standard. And then rounding it out, the master Makito Mahara running a Esper deck and uh, looks pretty pretty standard, pretty similar to um, Matai Matai's deck. So. Uh, very cool. I'm I'm really happy to see him in the top eight because he's uh he's getting to the point now where he's probably going to be in contention for Hall of Fame um, status, uh, especially if he if he takes a win home here. 
Uh, oh, absolutely. Be, if he wins, it's just yeah. not even going to be close. I think that he's probably locked it up with this top eight. Um, it puts him fresh in people's memory. And so I imagine next year's ballots pretty much across the world. There's not going to be a, um, a, a big difference between the Japanese voters, the European voters, and the American voters this time around. Pretty much everybody has the same first four, which will be uh, Huey, LSV, Ben Stark, and Mahara. Mm. Yeah, so uh, looking over these decks, as you kind of mentioned um, when we were going over the archetypes, there's uh, kind of this, I guess you just want to call them Aetherling decks, but there were, in, in the top eight we see an Azorius deck, and then we see Esper decks, uh, but there was also a Bant Control uh, variant, which of course um, we saw like Patrick Chapin was on a Bant Control, and uh, Gabe Nassif. All of Team SCG was on band control. All okay. 17. Wow, okay, I didn't realize everybody was on it. That's awesome. Uh, actually, Ruben, do you have any insight as uh, into why they went with band control when it seems like Esper was the more popular version of the, you know, whichever Azorius control deck you wanted to... Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I don't have any inside information, okay. but uh, I, uh, I think that they that they wrote something up on uh, on the um, SCG, Team SCG page um, about this, where the, the entire team decided to play the same deck. They came in with different decks and, uh, and wanted them to be... Like, they came in thinking they were going to be different, but uh, they, they ended up being on the same... On the same deck for the whole, uh, whole, all seventeen of them, which is first time that's ever happened. Yeah, I was gonna say that's uh, pretty rare, especially for a huge team like, like that. Right, and while none of them made top eight, uh, Reed Duke got ninth, Tom Martell got twelfth, Gabe Nassif got thirteenth, Matt Costa got thirty-first, Patrick Chapin got fortieth, and Bob Marr, who had a blistering start, ended up in eighty-fifth, unfortunately. Oh wow! But. Uh, they, they put half the team in the top 100, five of the 17 made money, um, and so, I mean, it was it was a good deck, perhaps not the greatest deck, um, certainly did not have a breakout uh, finish, but with so many teams and so many players, it's tough to put, uh, you know, there's only so many spots in top 16, and only so many spots in top 8, in fact, there's only 8 of them. So, you know, it's tough to, to win everyone. Can't win them all, as they say. I, I think uh, I saw someone posted the win percentage of that deck, uh, not including mirror matches, and it was something like 64% or something. So it, it mm. obviously has pretty good win percentage. Of course, it's, you know, the players also factor into that. But, uh, but yeah, you know, think, they're on the I Pro Tour, it, so they're playing against other that, uh, Among the large teams, it had the either first or second best win percentage, um, but it was only by a couple of points over Channel Fireball. Like Channel Fireball had like a 62 percent win percentage, yeah. and Star City had like a 64. So it's not that big of a difference, right? All right. So I, you got to ask the question. So everybody knew going to this tournament that Aetherling was big. I mean, it's not like it's a surprise that that that's one of the yeah. best kill conditions in the 14 format. Fourteen of them in the top eight. Right, and 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 as a card that's you know sometimes not even a four of that's a pretty good number. There. Right, right. Um, so you gotta wonder where are the pithing needles because I feel like needle is really that is exactly good. my thought. Like uh, especially like in the mirror match, you're able to maybe board in something like reckoners or something and take out your Jaces and Aetherlings and just play a different game. Um, I just, or maybe you're not boarding those out, but I feel like if you're needle naming Jace, needle naming Aetherling, the the game just becomes so much more level, and uh, and there's just not a lot of ways to deal with the needle aside from what detention sphere. I mean, what how is an Aetherling deck really gonna get that off the board? Then you just have the six mana. There's four not five. a whole lot, um, not a whole lot of ways to deal with with a, with a biting needle in these sideboards. We're not really seeing anything like there's not many detention spheres, if any. You know, these decks are typically running one, maybe. Um, you can Sin Collector it, maybe. Like, you can hope to get lucky on that, I guess. Uh, but, like, nobody's running Vandal Blast, for example. Right. Uh, there's just no reason to. Nobody's running um, the other... Uh, the wear, like wear and tear, yeah. Wear and tear seems uh, like it'd actually be pretty good. if, uh, Like, if you take, like, Shroud's List, for example... Um, and you and maybe like you max out on Assemble Legions and Boros Reckoners and just board out the Aetherlings and Jaces, I feel like you're just never, ever going to lose a mirror match. 
Yeah, it's really strange because it's not possible that this many people forgot about Pithic Needle. <laughs> and the fact that Aetherling was, uh, was at the forefront of every discussion, at least that I saw, about Block... It seems very odd, and and yeah, I'm just looking control effing detention sphere, and I mean there are there's like three in Mahara's deck and two in uh, Mate's deck, and you know one in the board there, but you know besides detention sphere, that's I don't really see a lot of uh, a lot of reasons not to run Pithing Needle, and hey, if if my opponent's playing a three mana. Uh, three mana spell to deal with my one mana spell. I think I'm already, I'm, I'm kind of up on that exchange anyway. Yeah. Um, and, you know, hey, okay, now you need to use, you know, it's it's the battle of, okay, I have removal for your guy. Well, I have removal for your removal or whatever. Your, I have an answer for your answer. Do you have an answer for my answer for your answer? You know, and I, maybe it does seem odd, but. It may be just that people going in maybe thought that there'd be more voice or resurgence decks than there were going to be Aetherling decks. And, and really, you know, in out of the sideboard, you want to just have like you know ways to get the two two off the board, um, and just to interact maybe with some of the bigger sort of like junk and and mid rangey decks. So, I mean, I guess I could see you know not not having you know the full four, but I feel like the opportunity cost to run two uh, is pretty low, and oh. uh, so. Castellan does have one in the sideboard. He's he's the only one in the entire top eight that has. Well, then good for Rob Castellan. Why don't we talk about Rob Castellan? <laughs> so good. let's have some facts. So okay, this uh, Rob Castellan is a judge, and uh, he's he's oh, a level two. Yeah, and um, he was supposed to judge a PTQ, but he didn't submit his paperwork in a timely fashion, and uh, instead of. Being able or being able to judge the PTQ, he played in it and ended up winning it. And uh, so I don't know what else kind of led to this, but people started posting Rob Castle on facts. So this is almost like a Bill Brasky throwback, like you used to have in Saturday Night Live. But uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read a couple of these that maybe are kind of funny. So Josh or Layton posted one. Rob Castle on let me mulligan to eight both games to give himself a challenge and still beat me very easily. <laughs> and so, um, when uh, Rob Castellan plays two at a giant, he grows a second head from Jeff Foster. Uh, That's a good one. I like that one. Yeah, me too. This one's really good. Matthew Watkins, uh, Oray MW on Twitter. When a speller building gets countered by rule 608.2b, it's really Rob that did the countering. <laughs> uh, we need to look up which rule well that is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris Lansdell, Rob Castellan blocked the wolf. So nice. I like back the, call yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so cool to see him on the top eight. Him and Shroud, both their first pro tour going into the top eight. You got to like that. Uh, but there was something that maybe was a little discerning in seeing um, some of the newer players in the spotlight. Uh, yesterday, when we were watching the coverage, we uh, we were in round 13 or 12, and um, it was Andrew Shroud versus Swift. And uh, they were they were um, the focus of the uh, tournament because it, their matches actually matter. Whereas Westco and and I can't remember who else was eleven and one. They're pretty much locked at that point to be in the top eight. So it's not. On, I believe. Yeah, Castellan, Thank you. And um, so here's who we had in the feature match area. We had Swift and Shroud. Hey, they were the, the, the main match. They were the one we were watching. They were the one we were watching. Okay. Then we had Kibler versus Kai Buddha. Hall of Fame match. Two Hall of Famers. Uh, actually, we have four total Hall of Famers. Yeah, I was going to say, there's, a, <laughs> there's another then Hall of Fame match. Nassif versus Chapin, okay, playing an Esper mirror match. Or a Bant mirror. All right, a Bant mirror match. Thank you. Uh, so you would think that we would want to, you know, I don't know, watch the Hall of Famers play because that's what we tune in to watch for. But instead, we were instead of watching Swift versus Shroud play, um, you know, the red, white, blue versus mono red. Yeah, I wouldn't and, even tear my hair. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that they're uh, they're fine Magic players, but uh, I think that I would have been more interested in seeing any of the other four play any other person, let alone playing each other. Yeah. And that's that's the issue, right? So it's like, okay, I love the the underdog story, right? You know, when, when Detora... Uh, came to Pro Tour. I love watching her rooting, rooting her on, and, and somebody who hasn't been on the tour before. You know, we want to see a woman top eight, or or to see somebody um, 
you know, uh, have like a pretty amazing story. Maybe they were, you know, X and three, um, going into the, to the second day and just went undefeated or whatever. You'd love to see that, but I don't tune into the pro tour to watch, uh, you know, the underdog story. I tune into the pro tour to watch hall of famers and like the juggernaut play. Like I, I want, I want to see the best of the game because if I want to just watch people play magic that I'm not really sure who they are, I just go to an F and M or, you know, watch us, you know, really any grand prix coverage or whatever. The pro tour is for the best and the best of the best. Like, yeah, they're for the highlight reel. So I, I guess I just had a problem like with that particular situation where I'm like literally watching their match and I can see these hall of famers in the background playing. It's like, yeah, I, I don't, particularly want to watch this. I would rather watch well, Kai Buddha. Kai Buddha's my favorite magic player of all time. So, Joey, you, you weigh in on this, because I think we're on the same page here. You're uh, you're right. We are on the same page. I think, um, you know, I, obviously you and I had a little bit of an exchange on Twitter, agreeing with each other. So, um, <laughs> I happened to... I, we had a, a Preakness party going on at my house yesterday, so I didn't get to watch a lot of the coverage, but the, I kept, I had the computer open in the back and I was just going and kind of checking to see what's happening. And I happened to walk back there and, and, uh, and I see, you know, this Shroud versus Swift match. And I'm like, okay, what's going on in the background? Who's Chapin playing? Is Chapin playing Nassif in the background? <laughs> what is going on? And, uh, you know, that was, that prompted my tweet. Like, isn't there a mandate for whenever Chapin and Nassif are playing each other at a pro tour that it has to be the feature match? Yes. I mean, I was shocked. And this is before I even saw, you know, the camera move or the, a cut to a different camera when you see the other background match, Kai versus Kibler. And I'm just like, what is going on? Well, and you have I have to like, take into account the points, man. I don't know how many points they have. Okay. If they have the same amount of points, there's no excuse. Well, no, they were X and three, and the other guys were X and two. And and the the justification by Trick, and first of all, I want to give a big shout out to Trick because Absolutely. he was in communication with us, kind of explaining their logic here. Was that we didn't want to put an Esper Mirror match on camera because it's not as exciting as watching this, these other decks that are you know arguably more interesting. But here's the thing: how often do you get to turn on the Pro Tour coverage and watch Chapin versus Nasi? Right. That's like literally a once in a lifetime thing. Like well, twice you yeah. remember well, the yeah. well, in the seat. <laughs> well, that, 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 that's actually my big uh, big point is that you know his justification was that it was a mirror match, and I'm like that's actually and makes it that's, that's, that makes matches, it worse exactly. that you chose to a different yeah, match. For those like, of you that aren't aware, Chapin and Nassif had a very famous five game uh, feature match at Worlds in New York City several years ago with the Dragonstorm Mirror and uh, Ignite Memories managing like to dodge to yeah. all of the uh, exciting... It's it's one of the top three most exciting moments in Pro Tour history. Yeah. It's, it, is, it is one of the most memorable matches of Magic that's ever been featured on camera uh, at a Pro Tour, and, and it was I a was match. I was in New York for that. So I was, was I. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, you, yeah. okay, so you got you to say Standing next again. to Kai Booty. In your face. Okay, you beat me. I was standing next to Big Head Joe. I've never actually, I've never been in close proximity, uh, so. <laughs> but, Sign my void you know, cry. again, when I say this once-in-a-lifetime thing, again, it, it, it's, the Pro Tour should be something that we should be so excited that every round comes up, you're just going to see, like, the people that, like, I would love to, to watch a mirror match of Nassif versus uh, Chapin, because I'm going to learn a ton by doing that. These guys are in the Hall of Fame for a reason. They've been playing this game for 20 years, playing in countless Pro Tours. That's what I want to see, because these guys are seasoned. I watched the Pro Tour. Let me ask about uh, the Day 9 appearance. So, Day 9 got on coverage and in Round 2, and that was a a little awkward. They weren't the greatest players in the world. Neither of them. And so, uh, Wizards got a little bit of flack because they, there were some mistakes that happened on camera. But it's day nine, right? This guy has 150,000 plus Twitter followers. He's got a huge following. And the numbers showed that the coverage got more popular when he was on camera. Right. So, I mean, if you've got someone with star power, regardless of whether they're uh, Hall of Famers or really well-known... Um, or they are famous from somewhere else. Just putting two unknowns on camera together regard at X and two, rather than putting two Hall of Famers on camera at X and three. Yeah, I'm not. I I, I agree. So this this kind of gets into uh, maybe a little bit different discussion. Um, if you don't mind, I 
I, I think that maybe at the pro tour level, there's maybe something to be said for having an independent company do the coverage rather than Wizards. And let me kind of explain this logic a little bit. Um, if you have Wizards kind of at the forefront, sure, they get to promote the the product that they're the, the Pro Tour is named after, right? So Dragon's Maze. There's a lot of drag, uh, there's a lot of Ravnica block sort of highlights and. And they have their featurettes, which are cool. You know, of course, we saw Sam Stoddard on camera, which is awesome. I was really excited to kind of see him talk about some of the cards they were designing. Um, but I think if you have an impartial third party, you can kind of create some of that drama. You can create some of the well, okay. Uh, the the topic of the um, Wizards page was Pro Tour Dragons Maze poised for top eight drama, right? But really, is Wizards ever going to talk about something like a disqualification? or, you know, somebody getting banned, or something with anything other than, like, Wizards' lens. Like, I would love to see if a company owned the coverage that could talk about something that was really, truly dramatic, and that could get people, like, excited about it, like, almost in a, uh, like, reality TV sort of way. Like, people want to tune in because it's so dramatic. I, I don't know. I, th- I just feel like this was pretty... I don't know. I, I, I'll, I'll leave it there. I think it, if you have a comment, um, as far as our listeners on the coverage if you're ever to watch it or maybe if you think we're idiots uh be, let us let us know because i think this is a pretty interesting conversation right i just have two quick things to add uh, first since we just were talking about day nine um you know i, I don't play uh, or watch starcraft uh or whatever it is. i think it's starcraft right so so yeah, he's starcraft. not he, to me he's an unknown although i just know who he is because hey somebody told me this is what he does and he's popular so that's awesome and everything and i uh I don't disagree with the the uh, idea of inviting him to the Pro Tour as a special invite, bringing a lot of his viewers into watching, uh, you know, wanting to watch him on coverage or hearing about Magic. It's a great, like, advertising thing. I don't have any problem with that. I don't have any problem with him being featured on camera. Uh, it does seem unfortunate, though, of how awkward that match was to watch. It felt yeah, like you were watching a Yeah, it's too bad they didn't wait FNM. around. It's too bad they didn't wait one round because then he got paired up against LSV. Oh wow, yeah. I mean, of course, it's the best. There's no way of them knowing that. Um, but of so, so I, I just and know. to be fair, miking up Sean Plot, who is day nine, uh, he was awesome to listen to. He was just hilarious. Yeah. So, so, so there's that. Like, I, I don't necessarily disagree with it, and it's all. Uh, it's all good. It was just a little awkward, as you mentioned. I think that's the best way to put it. But uh, as far as you know, putting feature who you're going to feature on camera, I think there should always be one uh, titan of the game. I guess, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. where you have like a Hall of Famer or just you know one of these potential Hall of Famers or obvious future Hall of Famers kind of thing uh, going on. You should always have at least one of those. You have a plethora of them in the room. I guess I should maybe just quickly say because again I don't want to I don't want to dig on these guys, but had it been Shroud or Swift versus you know Chapin, I, I would have no problem with it. Yeah, it's just exactly. you have oh, to have some element of it, you know. Yeah, and and uh, you know they've got these built personalities, uh, you know these personalities are already there and available to mm-hmm. watch. So um, yeah, we can we can move on from this. Did we want to talk any more so, about the um, about coverage in general because Part of well, yeah, I had some other coverage thoughts. But obviously, I'm coming from a, a perspective of someone who has done some coverage, but not with Wizards, but with Star City. And of course, I've watched a lot of of Star City coverage, and I've watched a lot of Wizards coverage. And you know, I feel like there are places where you know Wizards coverage. It's for whatever you know. The quality of it is is excellent as far as you know visual quality and and uh, you know the camera quality. They've got the the moving cameras and the angles and things, and so it's very polished and pretty in that sense. Uh, but sometimes I feel like what they decide to put on camera uh, and and maybe to fill time is could be better. Um, I felt like there were times when it would it was it it seemed like twenty. To forty minutes of of Hagon and BDM just reading a stat sheet, and it's like this is not interesting in this quantity. Where you look at Star City, 
when a match ends, we try to go to another match immediately. Uh, we already have a camera set up over that other match, so it can actually be instantaneous. So fast that a lot of times the directors switch to the match before they switch the names on the match. So, like, it's you, you jump right over, you're watching magic, you see people scooping up their cards, and immediately you're watching magic again. And uh, if that's not available we typically go to replays, which I know some people don't like, but usually the people that don't like the, the replays are people that have seen the match already. If it's Yeah, new, most most people like replays, from what I what I can tell. Yeah, so for me, as a person who has a, an out, a, a life outside magic going on, or just things going on, I don't want to... That sounded disparaging, but I mean, <laughs> I, I, I have things going on on weekends that are non-magic related where I can't watch all the time. I know that... If I turn on SCG Live, it's very likely that I'm going to see magic, whether it was it's magic that's happening live or magic that happened a couple rounds ago. I get to watch magic, and that's that's what I want. That's what I'm tuning in for. Um, yeah. With the Pro Tour, they they don't show any replays at all. So I would go, oh, cool! I've got 20 minutes to watch. Uh, some of some magic yeah, and Aegon and BDM talk to each other for right, half an just, hour. And they're they're reading this these stats and it's just like it's not interesting at the, in that quantity. No, I I, tu- I turned I t- tuned into the Pro Tour yesterday to listen to Sheldon Menry to talk about EDH for fifteen minutes. That was literally my first my first yeah. turning on the PT. I, first cool. of all, you should never talk about. Uh, even something like Cube. I don't want to hear about Cube if I'm watching the Pro Tour. I want to hear about EDH. I want to hear about a format that's not the format that we're about to watch. I don't want to hear about Vintage, Legacy, whatever. Yeah, don't even talk about Standard when it's a block Pro Tour. It should be, yeah, it should be It should be about the, the tournament. It should be about the players. So if we're going to talk about stats, why are we not, you know, putting together two dozen, you know, sort of video spots or something um, you know, this is something we do four times a year. The production value is high. Don't tell me we can't get together information on Kai Buda or, or one of these guys and, and put together some background information, create some sort of world around the Pro Tour that makes it exciting. I, watching Rich Hagan talk about who's 9-2 and two for 15 minutes is not entertainment. It's not, it's not a good way to, to highlight the Pro Tour. So I'm with you, Joey. I think that they're, they're going to figure it out. You know, we, we've seen the, their uh, viewership go up, except this time around it was about 8,000 less. And I, I probably attribute that more to states and um, the Star City uh, event and, and a lot of stuff going on this weekend. Um, so we'll see what the numbers look like today. If it doesn't hit 20,000, there's a big problem there. There's a problem that uh, people aren't tuning in to, to watch the Pro Tour, and that's, that's bad. We don't want to see the viewership numbers go down. Yeah, all that said, Block looks like an awesome format. I really wish there were more opportunities to play it. Um, and, yeah, I, it was it was like an Esper control player's dream at the beginning and, and all throughout. Every, it seemed like every time I tuned in, it was somebody playing Aetherlings, which was great, you know, <laughs> so, for me. I loved it. Uh, yeah, and there's plenty out there for aggro players and mid-range players. This, this is a great format. I'm a little upset that there's not, uh, not any Block GPs, but oh well. Yeah. So uh, quickly to end our Pro Tour Dragons Maze discussion, um, Ari Lax, who uh, was playing in the, the tour, he put together a count of um, the pro player club uh, member numbers. So he says, a uh, quick end of year count. We have 16 platinum pros, then we have 33 gold pros, and then about 50 to 60 silver pros. So um, we did see a couple people fail to hit platinum, Conley, was one match away from hitting hitting platinum. That was very disappointing. Oh man! Um, Paolo did not hit platinum this time around. LSV did hit platinum. Uh, he was actually facing off against Arilax um, to uh, to try to, to get platinum there, and he did get it. Uh, what about Brad and or Jerry? Uh, I think they both missed. Yeah, I think so too. I think platinum. so too. Yeah. Um. So uh, it, it very interesting, though, because we kind of expected that the Platinum Pro number to be closer to 20. So it's it, it, it has shown that the threshold increase has sort of maybe bumped a few people out that maybe otherwise would have been Platinum. So that is very disappointing. Uh, Conley, I, I got to just say, um, I really appreciate his attitude because, you know, he was actually just one match away from Platinum. And he just said, hey, well, you know, I'm not going to get the money from Platinum, so it looks like I'm going to have to stream a lot more. So a uh, very positive attitude. you got to love that. But yeah. um, 
Yeah, one so, of my favorite tweets yesterday, I think I forget where I read it, but it was uh, on Reed Duke's round 16 match. If he loses, Reed Duke gets gold. If he draws, Reed Duke gets platinum. If he wins, he gets platinum and is probably a lock for the Players' Championship. Yeah. Wow. In the last round. <laughs> and he won. Yeah, and he won. comes down to the wire like that. It's amazing. Oh, I guess we should say, um, so Raptors... Uh, going to get player of the year then. Yeah, yeah, Raptor got player of the year. Ex- very exciting news for him. Be able to snatch it out of uh, Yuya Watanabe's grasp with his top eight performance. Uh, another one that's interesting to keep an eye on is right now, Joe Demestrio is going to win rookie of the year. But if Rob Castellon wins this Pro Tour, he's rookie of the year. Yeah, that, that be, is awesome. That would be dramatic. Just Alexander Hayden style, sneak it right under the wire. Yeah. And at this point, it's already happened. So if you're listening to this, it's, you know, Thursday, Friday, uh, who knows. And uh, so, yay, whoever did it. Hooray. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, to Congratulations, yeah. winner who took down trophy. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's transition over quickly to the M14 discussion. So I'm going to give you guys a choice here, uh, Ruben and Joey. Do you want to talk about slivers? Or do we want to save that for the next show? Well, or, or do you want to talk? We can each take a spoiler that we like and, and talk about it. I think slivers because it's getting to the point where <laughs> it's already old news. If we yeah, push it yeah it is. This time. And then we'll get to our M14 show next time. And we'll, just, we'll talk Modern Masters and M14 on the next show. Sounds There's good. a ton of spoilers. By the time um, our next show comes out, we will probably have most of the spoiler, if not all of it, because it's going to be pretty close to release. So uh, we'll have all of it, we'll, but we'll have we'll have a good chunk. We'll have official spoilers, uh, you know, from from the mothership and everything. So, well, then, uh, Joey, why don't you why don't you lead us into the sliver discussion? Okay, so if you don't know, slivers are coming back in M14, which you know, yay if you love slivers. Um, the well, sort of yay. Yeah, if you well, love slivers. So, exactly. Well, sort of yay. <laughs> I hope you didn't like what slivers looked like. Right, if you like the sliver creature type. <laughs> uh, because basically what they're doing is they are introducing a new version of the sliver cre- uh, creature type. In fact, these are kind of just not slivers, but they're called slivers. They've um, evolved. Yeah, so the the big is controversy the is... Given? Yeah, the, the big controversy is uh, the, the changes to slivers. In the past, slivers, um, you know, they, they have this, this look where they're kind of kind of generic looking, but they have some sort of thing, like, you know, the flying sliver has wings, and the the flavor of it was that they evolve so quickly, and uh, as soon as one learns a new skill, all the rest of them immediately have that skill as well, and that's all slivers, whether I control them or you control them. They were like a third entity in the game, because you couldn't really control the hive. If your opponent had slivers, they got your opponent's bonuses, right? Right. So, it, it was sort of this uncontrollable, unstoppable infestation on the board that was a whole third game. Yeah, because, you know, you're like, do I want to give all my creatures flying, for example, uh, at the expense of also giving my opponent's creatures flying? Uh, So, you know, it was one of those things where some people would play slivers just because, in, in the sideboard, because they knew that their opponent was playing slivers, or could be playing slivers. Uh, so... That was a really kind of cool dynamic, and it was a it was a pretty cool creature type, flavor wise, and the way it was executed, uh, all the way back in Tempest, where it was originally uh, these they originally showed up. Um, the the change now is that now the slivers only affect slivers that you control. So slivers you control get plus two plus zero, um, and then the other big change is their art style. Now they look kind of more humanoid and um yeah, they look like the either the predator or one of them looks like elish norn yeah like uh, people say they look like phyrexians or like you know the the praetor uh yeah cycle. the praetor creature type one of them looks like vorinclex one of them looks like elish norn yeah so there's kind of a lot going on here and a lot of it's on the on the flavor side of things even though um it's going to affect games of course too but you know the flavor of this hive uh, kind of interaction has really been shattered, and then the way they look has been shattered. And I'll I'll, I'll let you guys. What do you guys think about this? <laughs> okay. Boy, it's going to be fun playing slivers in modern when you've got like half of your slivers affect your opponent's slivers and half of them don't. <laughs> so no one has any idea what's going on. Yeah, it's a little confusing. You do also get cavernous souls which is kind of cool but uh, yeah we're gonna get cavernous souls with slivers for three months in standard which is gonna be a ton of fun i think yeah i think that's neat 
I mean, there are enough slivers spoiled now that, I mean, you probably have the start of something. We just need, like, a good clone, you know, like a, a Phantasmal a clone, level. A clone sliver? Like, this sliver comes into play as a sliver of your choice? That'd be awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. First of all, the mechanics, I, I don't mind that they are not two-sided. From a flavor perspective, like, I, I guess I understand what you're saying, Ruben, with the hive and everything. But it's not... Um, I don't think that like modern design would allow them to create this two-sided again because it seems like there is such a focus on this in limited and it just it's first of all it's not base set uh, the complexity levels maybe just a little bit too complex for base set to have to manage that complex board state and um, and also I think that you know Time Spiral was ten years ago and I think they have just a little bit. Was it really? Oh my god! Yeah, sorry, buddy. I am so um, old. Wait, what, what? Time Spiral? Yeah, it's about Time Spiral came out in two thousand six. What? <laughs> oh, okay, whatever, fine. <laughs> I always just what I, year no, are you living no, in? No, 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 no. <laughs> Seriously, is it two thousand six? Whatever. Okay, yes. so eight years ago, seven years ago. Um, so I think they, you know, with every block, they they have a better understanding how to design limited sets. They they hire people on that have a good understanding of these, you know, mechanics and creeds and whatever. So anyway, that aside, um, you, what you have here is you have a good product that people are sour on because you decided that you wanted to change something that didn't need to be changed. And this is something that we've seen come up in Magic countless times where they take a, a creature or a car type or, or part of the game and change it. Um, sometimes they change it for the good, you know, like card frames. I think that was a good move. I think, you know, damage on the stack. I think that was a good move. Remove mana burn. Those kinds of, you know, fundamental things change. But when you change flavor, okay, you attack somebody on a totally different axis than gameplay. When you change the flavor of something as iconic as a sliver and basically dilute it and pull all of the character out of it and just make it just like any other dumb card type that we have, you're essentially you're ruining the sanctity of that creature type, and it's not exciting. These are not exciting to me at all. Had, had these had the art style of the original slivers, I think that players would be insanely excited for the set. But what you have here is you have underestimated people's love for flavor and magic. And, uh, you know, the firing of Brady Dommermuth is probably, um, you know, in some way... There, I mean, that's there has a whole other ball, ball of wax we could but discuss. It, it, how, are you, how are you at all, like, they could have still had the sliver head, or they still could have had, like, the talons, or whatever. You literally took all of their identity the beak. away. The beak. Yeah. Like, it, it's gone. So... These, this is not this is not cool. This is not okay for me. Um, I'm normally one that would be like less okay with like mechanics changing, but this this is just dumb. This is actually just dumb. So that that's I, my piece. I, I I think I agree. Uh, it's going to be tough to tell whether or not this is a mistake because magic is on such an up- upswing that it's tough to screw anything up, and so it, it's it's basically going to be a matter of how much money they make, because they're going to make a ton of money from M14. I mean, the game is still going to keep growing at an astronomical pace uh, for for the foreseeable future, I would imagine. Um, but it, it's tough to tell if they would have made more or gotten more fans and more players had they done something different. It's, it's just different. Uh, you, there's no way to be able to tell. Right. And that's a good point. I think uh, you're in a situation where how are you measuring success? Is it the bottom line? You know, is it the money? Because that that's not going to show you very much. You're not going to be able to determine from that. But if you determine it from uh, from some player feedback, I think you can see that this is more uh, leaning towards more uh, upsetting than anything exciting. Um, yeah, but we'll get past it. I mean, it's oh, just sure like every it's, it's like every other time that uh, magic has been ruined by. Mark Rose Water and Company, you know. Well, <laughs> when they took damage off the stack, that was going to ruin magic. And when they brought back fetch lands, it was going to ruin magic. All these things. I don't know if anybody ruin thinks, magic. thinks the change to slivers is ruining magic. It's just ruining slivers. Right. And yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's, if that's, you loved slivers, you exactly. may be upset. And I think, to me, you know, when slivers first came out, that was my first pre-con from Tempest, and I thought it was cool, but it never stuck. So I never really played slivers. So I don't, I don't care that much. But I did like that there was this creature type that was, um, you know... 
it was exclusive to magic. It was a magic creature type that was created, and it, it, I thought it was a very cool thing. And I feel like they really just watered it down, or or they really just changed it. They said, okay, now dragons are going to look like Shamu, the killer whale, instead, because people like them to have fins instead of wings. Out of our research, you know, it's like just random. Like, like, okay, that's not even a dragon anymore. Like these just aren't slivers anymore. They're just something different. They're called slivers. I, I just don't that's understand like the logic of it all, right? So they've said that they've debated. You know, okay, could, we're, we're, are we going to do allies? You know, do we want to do some other card type? Do we want to try to go to some other tribal? Because, like, really, there's not a lot of five-color tribal themes aside from allies. All of really. these are three colors, by the way. In, it, it, this is uh, Slivers are Naya color in M- yeah. M14. Okay. So, you know, I guess, like, they did the soldier thing, and they've done, you know, the human thing, and so... You know, it makes sense that, like, this is a logical... There's a whole bunch thing. of tribal interactions in M14, by the way. This is basically a tribal set. Yeah. No, and, and that's that's cool, but like, how did how did they, you know, sitting around this conference room table, how did like all of these people that have been so involved in this game for so long decide that this was like a good idea? Not not that this was like, you know, good for the set, but just like good for Magic, because I I feel like all this does is, you know, I don't think there's going to be a player out there who's like excited to see Slivers evolve because there was no story around it. Like, had they created, like, a block that's, like, you know, called, you know, Sliverhaven or something, and we saw it evolve, like, it would be so much different. It would be so much cooler. But this isn't. It's just, just like, yeah, oh, Slivers change. They evolve, and, and they, they become their surroundings, and they're, they're evolve, you know, they're smarter and better and awesomer. It's just it's just dumb. I, I So I'm excited to draft it, but I'm just going to pretend that Sliver just says, you know, like, you know, Lemur or something instead. <laughs> yeah, most of the time it's just not going to matter. No, yeah. it's not. It, it doesn't have any significant impact. It's just a. It like when Gaze of Granite um, wasn't an, an enchantment. It just disappointed me. It just made me sad. Uh, and this just makes me sad. It doesn't. It doesn't deter me from playing. But if you have enough of these as they pile up, like the sadnesses just sort of like keep happening. That's what makes players say, you know what? Maybe I would just be happier doing RC cars, or maybe I'd be just be happier like boating or getting a car or something <laughs> instead of playing Magic. Um, because something, something else that I liked back when I was 14. Sure. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I, I think it's a, uh, I think it's a cool looking set so far. We, we definitely have awesome cards to talk about. Yeah. So, you know, the fact that the set is very, very good, um, offsets the fact that the Sentinel or that the, uh, sliver flavor is kind of, yeah. But, uh, Speaking anyway. of going back to old school things, I have a flawless segue. You guys ready for this? All right. Speaking of going back to old school things, uh, do you remember when it was the norm to play with your lands above your creatures? Do you remember that? I do. I uh, remember. Never did it. I vaguely remember this. Uh, and then it sort of switched away, and now it's pretty much industry standard to play with your permanents above your lands and play with your lands closest to you. Well... Interesting developments uh, have happened in the lands above team lands above creatures and teams creatures above lands. In that uh, uh, lands above creatures got a new follower this weekend in Louis Scott Vargas, and this sort of uh, spurred a discussion on Twitter about uh, the placement of cards. Uh, also, this weekend here in Nashville, Christopher Anderson is playing with his lands above his creatures. Um, I, I'm not sure that that is something he, he's done before. Um, I was on the team of lands above creatures for a long time because I liked having my things that are more complicated closer to me. Mm-hmm. And the lands aren't very complicated, so I wanted the, 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 the stuff that's complex nearer to my eyes to somehow be able to make more sense to me. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. But uh, is this yeah. even a discussion that's worth having? Or uh, uh, I want to hear Joey rant about it. So I think <laughs> it's... Here, here's my, my quick take. Uh, if you play lands in front of your, your permanents, uh, you're an idiot. So go ahead, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... I'll, I'll try to I'll try to do this quickly because we're, we're running short on time. But uh, I, I played lands in front for a while because that's what it said in the rule book. Uh, I, that was just the way I learned the game, and so that's what I did. Then I saw all these pro players playing with their permanents, non-land permanents in front, and thought, okay, so they they do it like that. I'll try doing it like that too. Why not? And that just became a habit. Same thing as I used to tap my cards in the 
to the left, like counterclockwise, and now I can tap like clockwise. Yeah, like I used to do that all the time. So I tap I my lance with a tap counter. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he had. You can't on. do that anymore. <laughs> no, I still do that all the time. No, I'm really? Go ahead. Really? No, no, it's Not illegal. Really. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's just one of those things where I, I, you know, I see other people doing it. I'm like, I'm going to try doing it that way because, you know, and in fact, you know, you look at the cards and you see which way they tap and it's, it's clockwise, I think. So, uh, that's all irrelevant. The point is I've done it both ways and I don't really have, uh, a preference necessarily. I'm doing it one way, but what I think is necessary, and this is what brought out my tweet. And of course the lens in front thing was, was what spurred it. Um, we have thousands of people watching this game now, more people than have watched it than, uh, than ever before now watching this game. And uh, I think there, there needs to be a standardized way of setting up the board, especially when you're on camera. But in general, maybe, I don't know if it should be rules enforced or what, you know, and I'm sure it's not a popular thing, especially uh, getting tweets from players that... Uh, that are like, well, what about Dredge? And it's like, well, okay, that's a good point. Dredge needs to lay its graveyard out. But you know what? Dredge doesn't have any other permanents going on. So It's also not magic. So you Yeah, know, exactly. It's- Dredge is a real is an anomaly. Like it is not the deck that you, you really bring up uh, because it's not magic. Exactly. Um, I think you know, there should be a standardized board setup so that it's very clear. This is this is mostly benefiting the viewer, but it, I think it also would benefit players because you're just clarifying things. I, I don't care if it's lands in front, if that's what we decide to go with. I mean, I, I just think there should be some sort of standard where this is where your lands go, this is where your non-land permanents go, your library goes to the left, and your graveyard goes right next to the library, and, you know, your exile zone is, you know, further to the left, or something like that. And that way, if everybody sets it up that way, it's very clear to everyone what's going on on the board, as opposed to when you tune in and you're like, okay, there's lands, non-lands, uh, lands again, non-lands, like, wh- where, who's, whose at lands are those? Coverage. <laughs> yeah, for I coverage. At it's- least for coverage, you're right. Um, first of all, you're the most Azorius person I've ever met. <laughs> um, so we need to have rules for all of these things. Um, but I'm yeah, I think that, especially if, we're tr- if, if the goal is to get more people excited about magic coverage, um, then absolutely, I think that there's it should be at least standardized while you're on camera. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of that would be acceptable to me. I uh, I always did creatures, then lands, then like artifact enchantments. Um, that's I oh, lands in of, the middle. Yeah, lands in the middle. Like if I if I have like a, a howling mine, it has no effect on the board aside from just like being a static effect. So I put it behind. It doesn't. It's not, I'm not going to interact with it oh. in any way. Um, but if I had like a sword of fire and ice, I'll play that up near the creatures. So I kind of still do that. So it is a little bit difficult to, um, the other side of the argument to standardize it. Yeah. But on the other hand, and Joey, you, you said something that I was laughing pretty hard about yesterday. You're like, okay, so I got, can I just put my library in the middle of the table? And so like, I've seen you know, people do that. there, there was like, when you played a long time ago, and if you played five color, if you played really long time ago and you played, uh, like alpha beta, if you had a chaos orb on the table, you would like spread your permanents out, and um, you know, so star. like, could I just you know have my library in the upper right and my graveyard in the upper left, and my you know exile zones in the middle of the table upside down, and you know, and I'm gonna play my creature and they, I mean, I guess by today's rules, I can really be as chaotic as I want to. Um, I feel like I'm surprised that it hasn't come up more. Almost as a troll to, you know, like you would maybe see like a player in a PTQ or something play his stuff all chaotic to like put his opponent off. Yeah. Um, So I think like in that way, you have to say, okay, your library and graveyard and exile all have to be on the same side, left or right. You you know, because I like I put mine on the right. Most people put theirs on the left, which is kind of weird um, that I play against. And um, and then like something like when you talk about your lands and stuff, I think. It's probably okay to say, well, your stuff has to either be all in front or all in back. But for coverage, if you're going to be on coverage, it's going it's going to be in the front because creatures go in the red zone. Like that's that's intuitive. That's what players players need to be able to piece together information from cards they can't see. Yeah. And so if you have cards that are like behind and in front, it's confusing. So you have to do it. You have to have a standard 
so that the viewers aren't like put off. So yeah, sure, sorry, Paolo, that you play your cards a different way, but I can't see that that's a term of way for. I can't see that that's whatever card you're gonna have to play it up front. You know? Yeah, is that Sarah Angel sitting in the red zone because it's attacking, or did you just put it there? Right, right. You know, Encro- yeah, players that encroach upon your playmat are uh, are very frustrating to me. Like they start playing things way up at the top of their zone of the table. So much so that I I can't play things anymore. I have to say a really funny story real quick about Stoddard. Uh, So, you know, like players will have their playmat with their like top eight pins, their PTP top eight pins. That's like a way to like troll. Well, Stodd got this really big playmat at one point uh, at Origins or Gen Con or something. I mean, it was like, it takes up like most of the play area. And uh, (laughs) Stoddard has top eighted a number of PTQs in, uh, in his past. So his his uh, his playmat is just full of them. So what he would do is like the player would like flop down their playmat um, that would have like one or two top eight pins, and you just like whoop, and it have yeah. you know eighteen <laughs> pins on it. it like yeah, and he wouldn't do it all the time. He would only no, do it if no. the opponent like had a had a playmat that had like five pins on it or something. Yeah, it was just a troll back, right? So he play. wouldn't yeah, yeah he wouldn't bring it out. It would just be like, oh, you want to show your stuff. Well, how about this, buddy? <laughs> so I, I always thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Well, on the yeah. encroachment kind of topic, I think that happened at a Pro Tour. Um, was it Jan Moritz Merkel, I believe, was was the one playing that way, where he was, uh, I think it was his first Pro Tour, he ended up winning it, and he was, put, like, the way he was playing his cards, it was like he was taking over the entire table. And that was that's something that came up, I believe, uh uh, Mike Flores wrote about it in the OMG and, and probably in some articles uh, as well. Or, uh, but basically, you know, your your body language and your board, your your physical presence of your body and where you're putting your cards having an effect on your opponent. And you know, that's kind of an interesting strategy or concept. He he talked a little bit about um, Brad Nelson being very physically yes. imposing uh, as a person. You know, the first time he played against right, Mike, but there's a line. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's probably a physical line that you can't cross. Yeah, um, but <laughs> or you lose a life. That's right. uh, oh yes, <laughs> sorry. Uh, but yeah, that that's the that's the idea. I just it, it just occurred to me the other day watching and seeing you know people complaining about lands in front and I and and just the idea of maybe just having a standardized board set up, especially for coverage, seems like a good one to me. Where you're just you're clarifying things. It's very it's it's much clearer what's going on, especially for a newer player too, someone who's just getting into the game decides to tune in. How how confusing is it for them? Where you know if lands are in the back on one side and in the front on the other side, and I don't know all the if cards are upside your- down. If, if Adrian Sullivan's on right, on right, right, camera, he's got his cards facing the opponent. The They're upside player. down. Oh, that drives me nuts. Yeah. So I'm if you're if you want to uh, if if you want to make your opponent very upset with you after they are playing with their lands in front, just refer to it as a magic mullet. He's <laughs> <laughs> got the lands in the front, the party in the back. Oh jeez. So yeah, if you actually just want to make me tilt, just play your lands in front and play everything upside down, and I, I just I'll just yeah. <laughs> So um, I think is that just about everything? Uh, that we've yeah, that's about it for this week. Yeah, I mean, not nothing too exciting here at uh, SCG Nashville. Um, in terms of standard, we had a Junk Reanimator finals, and we had uh, two Naya Blitz in the semifinals. There was a somewhat interesting green-black mid-rangey rock deck in the top eight. Um, so if you want to go to check out the coverage on that, uh, we got some stuff on the coverage page. Uh, and the Legacy Tournament's taking place as I speak. Round one is underway. Nice. And it uh, looks like it's almost over, actually. So, uh, wow. yep, that's that's about it from uh, from me today. Um, also, just to uh, let you guys know, those of you who may have um, have missed us on MTGCast, because if that's where you get your podcasts, uh, we may have been missing from your feed. And I just don't know how you're listening to this now that I think about it. But <laughs> Tell your friends. We, uh, we will be back on MTG cast uh, very soon. Um, as always, we're available on Star City on Wednesdays. Now, every other Wednesday, um, you can follow us on Twitter at In Contention. You can follow Cranny at K Stube. Follow Ruben at Mox Ruby, R E U B Y. Uh, 
We've got a Facebook page where you can like us and uh, keep up with the show there. And, of course, you subscribe to us on iTunes if you use iTunes. And we also have an RSS feed if you don't use iTunes uh, or if you do and, you know, however you want to do it. There's plenty of ways uh, you guys can subscribe to the show. We do still have a, a contest going on. Uh, the Ultra Pro Contest, and in fact, I wanted to mention that as well. Ultra Pro contacted me, maybe sending even more stuff. Because when, nice. we, when they heard we had five winners, they said, we need more winners than that. <laughs> you know, they were yeah, like, nice. is that it? We want to send you more stuff so you can have My more goodness. winners. So if they send us some more stuff, which I, uh, I haven't gotten confirmation yet, um, they, I think we're going to double the amount of winners. So if you hadn't heard, the way you win, you go to iTunes, search for In Contention, uh, find the, the show with our logo, with the, uh, the black and blue and white uh, logo with the trophy. That's the, the feed you want. Click that. Leave us a review. Whatever you want to write, just leave us a review, and you are in the running for the uh, contest. We're going to give away a bunch of Ultra Pro swag. Yep. Just leave a comment that says, Ruben stinks. And you can still win. Yeah, you could do that. Nice. If you want. <laughs> In fact, I might go do that right after we stop recording. Hey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I guess uh, is that everything, uh, Trini? You want to show us out? Yeah, I think that's it for this week. Thanks uh, everybody for listening, and until next time, we are in contention. Yeah.